Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbong. Okay, so one of the more common bad faith arguments I've heard from homophobes is that same-sex relationships are not natural, you know, that it doesn't happen in the animal kingdom as if we should be taking our cues for running society solely based off what animals do. But it's also, like, patently untrue, right? Animals are out here having all sorts of sex just like the rest of us. Those relationships are at the core of Elliot Schrafer's new book. It's called Queer Ducks and Other Animals, The Natural World of Animal Sexuality. And there's a part in this interview where he tells NPR Sasha Pfeiffer that studying this actually moved him, you know, that there was almost a radical level of acceptance found in nature. Support for NPR and the following message come from FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. Support for NPR and the following message come from the Lemelson Foundation, dedicated to improving lives through invention, innovation, and climate action. At its worst, a nonfiction science book about animal sexuality could read like a dry biology textbook. But that's not the kind of book Elliot Schrafer wrote. His book, called Queer Ducks and Other Animals, The Natural World of Animal Sexuality, is designed to be teenager-friendly, for one thing— It's a young adult book filled with comics and humor and accessible science. And it's filled with research on the diversity of sexual behavior in the animal world. Elliot Schrafer is with us to explain more. Welcome, Elliot. Hi, I'm really happy to be here. We're glad to have you. I really like the way you structured your book. It's basically an animal per chapter in a way. But you also have these wonderful illustrations. You have interviews with scientists. Tell us a little bit about how you decided to make it accessible because, again, you're, you're aiming for adolescence, as I understand it, in a nonfiction way. And they, be, they might be inclined to think nonfiction equals boring, dry textbook. Right. I sort of imagine like we're kind of sitting in the science classroom, passing notes back and forth. And it even comes down to the, the doodles. There's a, an artist, Jules Zuckerberg, who did a one-page comic for each of the animal species that we discuss. So it's, uh, the premise is that it's an animal GSA. A gender sexuality alliance meeting. That's right. Uh, And so they're each taking a turn introducing themselves. And so the bonobo takes a turn introducing how her family works and then the doodle bug and the dolphin and, and so on. Yeah, they're really they're really great. They make the book really accessible. As we said, every chapter basically tackles an animal and something about the sexuality of that animal. Do you have a favorite or one of your favorites that you could tell us about? Sure. Well, the hard part starting to write this book was figuring out which animals to focus on. The bonobos are famously promiscuous, and the majority of their sexual activity is between females. So I knew they had to be in there as an early chapter. What's funny, well, what's interesting about these animals, are they, as you said, they're very promiscuous. I mean, there's almost this orgy-like way about how they behave sometimes. Yes. And what was so interesting in the early studies about bonobos, they're really fairly new to science. We used to call them pygmy chimpanzees and just thought they were small chimps and that was it. And it wasn't until the 90s and the 2000s that we started really studying them. And sex, and in particular, same-sex sexual activity in bonobos is a way to avoid conflict and to smooth over feelings after a conflict. Uh, There was um, a really fascinating study where they gave honey, which is a really desirable food source, 
to a group of bonobos and to a group of chimpanzees and saw how they reacted differently. And chimpanzees, the strongest males, grabbed the food source and handed it out to their allies. Uh, and then in the bonobos, they all circled the honey and none of them touched it. And they all got very, very anxious about how this food was going to be split up. And then rather than starting eating, they started an orgy. They just all started having sex. Uh, and this is between males and males, males and females, and, and females and females. And then once they were blissed out and calm, that's when they started to eat this, this food. And chimps and bonobos are tied as our closest relatives, so it's a great metaphor for the two ways that we can also look at human nature. There's also a chapter that I found interesting about bulls, and a lot of bulls are used for breeding. They're used to inseminate females. And sometimes the bulls have to kind of get in the mood. Uh, the handlers help them get in the mood. And what's interesting is they often bring in other males to do that, and it's effective. And I thought that was, that was very interesting. Tell us why you chose that example. Bovids are have the, one of the largest um, percentages of same-sex sexual behavior within their populations. And it's long been the ace card in the hand of cattle breeders to bring out a steer to get a bull excited uh, in order to perform sexually. Uh, and in fact, there was one of the foremost sheep researchers, Valerius Geist, who studied bighorn sheep. In the 1960s, he, he was in the wild observing these bighorns and saw that they basically live in an entirely homosexual society until the age of six or seven. The males are off by themselves, having frequent intercourse. And he didn't publish on it. He wrote about this in his memoir years later because he couldn't tolerate the idea that these, what he quote, magnificent beasts were queers. Uh, and so he resisted publishing on that. We mentioned that the book includes interviews you've done with scientists, these little question-and-answer exchanges. I really like those. They not only added to the science of the book, but it was interesting that these types of professionals exist. Could you tell us about one that you think is most noteworthy? Sure. I wanted to expand kids' impression of who gets to do science, with get, gets in quotes there, that it's not just old guys in white coats, right? There's an upswell of young scientists who are doing some wonderful work around queer behavior and queer identities in animals. So one person I spoke to uh, was a ecologist who has transitioned genders, um, has, is still actively figuring out their place within the broader world, and looked forward so much to the days when they could be just with their binoculars in the field, mud up to their ankles, just staring at moose. Because at that moment, all these, the complicated navigation of all, the, all these identities just dropped away, and they were just part of nature. Like, they didn't have to explain themselves to the animals, and the animals had no concept of judging or shaming anyone for the choices that they were making around their, around their gender identity. And I found that so, so moving that there is some, there's a peace to be found and a simplicity and a acceptance, a radical acceptance within nature. Elliot, you've written in your book that you are well aware, these are your words, well aware that this book is bound to be controversial. But on the other hand, you also seem to be trying to assure young people out there that this is not controversial at all. It's actually quite common in the animal world. Is that part of the message you're trying to send? Yeah, I think there's, you know, some people will say, well, there's all sorts of things that animals do that 
humans oughtn't to be doing, right? That we shouldn't cannibalize our partners after we have sex with them, uh, that we shouldn't be living on webs out in the wild, and that we can't just cherry pick which animal examples we choose to use. Uh, but that's really getting the argument of the book backwards. Uh, I'm not trying to argue for human behaviors from certain the ways that animals can behave. Instead, I'm trying to say that we can no longer argue that humans are alone in their queerness or in their LGBTQ identities, that instead we are part of a millions of year tradition within the animal world of a variety of, of approaches to sex and a ton of advantages that come around from it. Elliot, you've written and you've said that you wished you had known this when you were younger. If you had known it, how do you think it would have changed how you felt about yourself? I think there's a loneliness to human queerness, that there is this idea that it is something that happened recently to this species and that we are alone in it, and that queer people can find each other and find community with each other, and that that is the, the goal that they, can, they should hope for. When we are heavily integrated into the natural world, and that is that is the part of the message that I think is lost, uh, and that LGBTQ behaviors and identities are are absolutely natural. That's Elliot Schrafer. His new book is Queer Ducks and Other Animals. Elliot, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. When voters talk during an election season, we listen. We ask questions, we follow up, and we bring you along to hear what we learned. Get closer to the issues, the people, and your vote at the NPR Elections Hub. Visit npr.org elections.